If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to get them out this morning because we're going to do a lot of reading in Scripture um, just because it's such a rich, rich text. So um, if you are joining online, welcome satellite groups and those watching. Uh, we're diving back into Exodus, and we are currently in Exodus 17, verse 8. Um, and the talk this week is called Ask for Help. Now, some of you had to do your homework this week. Some of you had to start asking for help. And there is something about help that is hard for us as women. We are used to running the show. We're used to doing it all. We're used to holding all the plates. And there's something that feels a little vulnerable about asking for help. Like it might be perceived as a sign of weakness. We might have to relinquish control. Whatever it is, it's hard for us to ask for help. But God designed us to be people who need each other and people who need him. And so today we're going to explore some of the ways that Moses asked for help and how we can apply those to our own lives today. So um, when I lived in Ecuador, um, I went in as a recent college graduate. I knew un poco bit of Spanish. I knew so little Spanish. It was funny that they let me in the program. I really shouldn't have been down there. I knew like three words. And so one of the first words that I learned, it was a year of service and we ran these after school programs. And so one of the first words I learned was from the kids. And what happens is in Ecuador, um, the government, they, they say that education is free, um, but you have to pay for a school uniform to go to school. And school uniforms can cost 25 to $30. Um, and for families that are making one to $2 a day, that's just, it's unthinkable. So education in Ecuador isn't awesome. And so what our program did is we went down and we ran these after school program for kids. And the first word I learned was from the kids in the program who would always come up to me and tug my arm. They would do this to all the volunteers, tug our arms, pull at our clothes, and they would say, ayudame. Can you say that with me? Ayudame, which in Spanish means help me. So these kids would walk around. They'd never been to school. They didn't know how to do the assignments we were asking. They were nervous to get it wrong. And so they would trail us around the whole time. Senorita, ayúdame, por favor. They would do this whining little thing. And so that's one of the first phrases I picked up in Spanish. And it turned out to be one of the most helpful phrases that I learned in my time in, in, that I was in Ecuador. Because when you enter a different culture, if you enter a different country, a different language, you need so much help. I remember going to the grocery store for the first time and I don't speak much Spanish and I don't know if you order rice in cups or ounces or I just was symboling like, ayúdame with rice. <laughs> um, it's hard in another language. It's hard in another culture. And the Bible tells us that we are foreigners on this earth, that our true home is in heaven. And so that phrase, help me, it's one of the tools that's in our toolbox to get through our time on earth. You and I were created for relationship, we were created for community, and we need each other. We all need help. And there's no shame in that. It's part of our design, it's part of our DNA. Um, so we're gonna dive in today and we're gonna see all the ways that Moses has needed help. And if Moses needed help, ladies, we need help. So if you got your Bibles, we're diving into Exodus 17, verse eight. Um, it said, it says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. 
Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So the first point of today, if you're taking notes, is we all need a team. We all need a team. None of us were created to do this life alone. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your situation is, but I can guarantee that you're going to need some people to help you out on the journey. And so what we see here is the Amalekites. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. So you have Esau and Jacob. If you remember, the brother Jacob wanted Esau's birthright, and Esau sold it to him for a cup of stew. And Esau's people were embittered for years after that. So Esau is like this beefy, meaty. They're this aggressive army that's been trying to take out the Israelites for generations. There's, they're at conflict. They're in warfare with each other. So the Amalekites find out that the Israelites are wandering in the desert, and they think this is our chance to get them. They're vulnerable. They don't got much, like they have no protection. They're probably tired. They're worn out. So the Amalekites come and they attack. And this is one thing I love about studying the word of God is you get all these like little insights that you wouldn't get if, unless you dive in deep. And so I was reading a commentary and it said one of the reasons the Malachites were so successful is that they trained camels for warfare. They trained camels. They said they domesticated camels to sneak up on the enemy. And I thought that was the richest treasure I found because I just imagine all these little camels sneaking through the desert. Can you imagine like this is a new war strategy? Like get your camel, we're going in, right? But the Amalekites, they trained camels to sneak up on the enemy. So they were taken, the Israelites were taken by surprise. They got caught off guard by the camel and crew and company and they overcame them. Their, bat, their army was stronger. Their enemies were greater than them. And though what happens is Moses, note what Moses does. Sometimes when we're the leader of something, we instantly think we got to be the ones on the front line, right? We're getting attacked. I'm the leader. I got to go in. Notice where Moses positions himself and what he does. Moses finds his strongest fighter and he says, hey, I'm 80. I'm old. My knees aren't going to do well in this battle. You're young. You're able. You go in and fight the battle. He empowers someone else to fight the battle. And Moses does Moses's role. Moses says, I'm going up the mountain and I'm going to interpray. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to pray for this. And so my question to you today is when you're in the battle, do you know your role? Do you know your role on the team? Because if you think it's your job to be at the front line all the time and God is asking you to go to the mountain and pray, you're going to lose the battle. You got to know your role in the battle. So each person, as we see, has a role in this. So he sends Joshua out and then Moses goes up and he brings his two trusted friends with him, Aaron and Hur. He says, these are guys I can rely on. These are guys that I know are going to help me do the battle. And so when Moses is called to lift up the staff that allows them to win, his arms get tired and he knows that he needs people to come alongside and hold up his arms. And I just wonder... What are, you, what are you carrying today that's too heavy for you? What are you trying to hold up by yourself that your arms are growing weak, that you're failing, that you feel like you, you got to do it all on your own? I want to encourage you that God made us to be in community with other people and helping other people. And it takes, you have to be a teammate to get a teammate. 
So maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to be championing. Maybe one of your girlfriends or your neighbor, she's got her arms up to here. Nobody's helping her hold the, bear, the, hold the load. Maybe you're called to step in and say, how can I help you? And maybe you're the one whose arms are shaking and who's got a lot on their plate. Who do you need on your team? One of the hopes of women's ministry is that you have a team of people at your table who are committed to pray with you and who are committed to bring you back to the Lord. Because here's the thing. These people, Aaron and her, they weren't Moses' hype people. They weren't like, Moses, you're so amazing. Oh my gosh, like, don't go up the mountain. That's way too much work for you. Stay down here, rest, do whatever you want. Do you want a cappuccino? They're not, they're not about making Moses God, right? And we need people in our life that aren't about making us God. They're about making us agents of God's will. So Moses' team wanted to help Moses accomplish the mission that God had put out for them. Do you know your mission? And do you have people that are going to help you in the journey? Um, I'm a huge Packers fan. It's part of my blood, DNA. Um, Packers played the Seahawks this last week. They say to feel your audience out, so I'm testing the waters. Um, So where I'm from... The Packers are kind of a big deal. So normally when I make these references, people like it. But um, anyway, so the Packers, if you, didn't, if you didn't see the game, we won. But that's not the point. That's not the point. That's not why we're here. The point is that I have a secret, or not so secret, crush on Aaron Rodgers. And I think he is divine. And I think he's lovely. And most of Wisconsin loves him. And what I was noticing in the game is that the entire team, when he's quarterback, the entire offensive line... Everything is about getting into position so that Aaron Rodgers can do his job. And the few times that the offensive linemen, those are those big guys who block oncoming traffic from getting to Aaron, the few times that those guys didn't do their job, Aaron Rodgers, my sweet friend, he got taken out. He hit the ground hard. And I wonder, do you have people who are on your front line? people that are fighting for you, people that are protecting you, people that are helping you accomplish the mission that the Lord has put on your table because it takes a team. Aaron Rodgers is nothing without his team. Stand alone by himself, he goes into the game. He's nothing without his team. So who is your team? Who is the people? Who are the people that the Lord's asked you to do life with? Who are you supposed to rally around? And who do you need to pray rallies around you? I want you to hear today that we're made to do this as a team. You don't have to do this alone. You need your people that are going to help you do the Lord's will. And one of my favorite things about this, this scene is when everyone's in position. So you have Joshua down in front. You have Aaron and her. Then you have Moses is it makes the silhouette. Do you see it in your head, this picture? It makes the silhouette of the cross. And everything in Exodus points to Jesus. And so this picture of them helping each other do the mission of the Lord is this sign of the resurrection. Jesus dying for us, helping us to live out the mission that the Father has put us on. So we are not alone, friends. That picture, that image, the the cross over the mountain, it's the same image for us today. The king has risen, and he is our helper, and he wants to put us in good teams to do his work. So carrying on, we're jumping now to chapter 18, um, verse 1. If you're with me, it says, verse 1, Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zephora, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Jersum, and for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. 
Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved him. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the land of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Our second point today, family matters. Family matters. Now, something that I didn't realize when I was reading the text for the first time, I heard Jethro was a priest, and I thought, oh yeah, it's all in the family. He's a believer. No, Jethro was not a believer of the one true God. Jethro was a priest of the Midianites, and the Midianites were a different people group, and they had their own God. So here comes Jethro, a Gentile on the scene. Now, you have to remember, the Lord just, the Lord just wa- raged, raged war? Anyways, anyways, he waged war with the Amalekites. God just went against the nations and said, no other nation will come against my people. And I'll show you and I'll prove it to you by helping you win the battle. And now here, here comes Jethro. He's a Gentile. He's not one of the Israelites. He represents the other nations. And look at what happens in this encounter. Moses shares what the Lord has done in his life. And Jethro, who's a Gentile, is invited to the table. He becomes a believer. Your family, the people in your life, the people that you do life with every day, your friends, they have a deep desire to know Jesus, whether they know it or not. And some of the people in your life, they don't know how to ask for the help they need. Jethro was high up in his priestly order. He was doing great by all standards. He was respected in the community. He was a priest. He didn't know he needed to know the true God. And there are some people in your life that don't know that they need Jesus. But here's the reality. This is my favorite. This is one of my favorite pictures of evangelism because I think sometimes we hear that word evangelism and we think that we got to preach to our neighbor. We think we got to go out and convert somebody. We got to go be judgmental. We got to shape them. We think we have to come down on other people and tell them how to become Christians, right? This isn't what happens at all in this story. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of evangelism. All Moses does is he shows up as he is, He tells everything that's happened. I want us to hear that. He tells everything that's happened. He didn't sugarcoat this. It said in there that he shared all the hardships that they went through and how the Lord delivered them. This is a picture of evangelism, my friends. This is a picture of us. We share the good things that the Lord has done in our lives. And it is not our job to change someone's heart. It's not our job to convert anybody. It's not our job to make anyone Christians. It's our job to tell the story 
and to tell it honestly and to show people in our life what it looks like when Jesus comes in and does a work in us. Um, I used to do a, did a summer project in Santa Monica with Campus Crusade back in the day when I was in college. And one of the best sermons I ever heard used this metaphor of being at the beach. And the guy who, who gave the sermon, this image has always stuck with me. He said one day he was at the beach with his family and they were leaving, I think it was Santa Monica, and he was walking up the street, um, kind of that looks out to the ocean. He was walking and he turned around and he saw the most beautiful sunset he had ever seen. And the first thing is he did is he got his crew. He's like, he told his wife, he told his kid, like, hey, you guys turn around, turn around, check this out. And they all turn around and they're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And they stared there and they watched it and they talked about how beautiful it was. And anybody who was walking by, whose back was to the sunset, they told, hey, turn around, check out the sun, check this out. Now, if somebody passed them and didn't turn around, they weren't hurt, they didn't feel offended, they didn't feel rejected, they didn't feel like it reflected who they were, they just thought, oh man, that's their loss. They didn't chase after them and say, no, you turn around, you see the sunset, you're gonna miss us. <laughs> they didn't force anybody to see something that they didn't wanna see. Our job is not to force anybody to see or receive anything they don't want to see. Our job is to invite people to the beauty and majesty that is the son of Jesus. When we behold his beauty, when we tell others what he's done in our life, that is the story of evangelism. That's what we're called to do. We can't change people's hearts. So Moses goes and he tells Jethro and he says, hey, this is everything the Lord does. And the Lord the Lord's the helper. The Lord gets a hold of Jethro's heart and Jethro believes. And then what the Lord does, and this is such a beautiful picture, is he invites him to the table. So he's just wiped out the nations. He said, the Amalekites will never enter my rest. I will be against them for all generations. And then Jethro comes in and he starts to believe. And the Lord says, you're welcome at my table. The Lord wants to make a space for your people and my people at the table. Who do you know that isn't at the table? Who do you know? that you need to come alongside and share what the Lord's done. You don't need to convert them. You don't need to judge them. You don't need to preach at them. All you need to do is share the beauty of what God has done in your life. And that testimony is what moves in people's hearts and minds. Who do you need to tell the story to? Continuing on, we're jumping into verse 13. Um, Verse 13, chapter 18, it says, The next day Moses took his seat to, to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses is his father-in-law. Now Jethro's new, but he's not new to the game. He's been a priest for a while. He sees what's happening. He replies, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work's too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. I'm going to say that again. Someone needs to hear that today. You cannot handle it alone. Verse 19, he says, listen now to me and I'll give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. 
Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Point number three, if I can find my little notes here. Um, Point number three is, ladies, lighten your load. It's biblical. There is something in our human nature I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's pride. I don't know if it's fear. But we love to be in control, right? In this story of Moses, look, okay, look at Moses. Moses is judging all the people. There's estimates that there's 2 million to 3 million people. And Moses, we know this. Moses is chosen. He is selected. He is God's mouthpiece. It makes sense, right? If you were Moses, you'd be like, well, I've been called to this role. I got to do it. I got I to gotta judge it for all the people. And they're coming to him and treating him the same. We need you to do this. And his father-in-law says, no, no, no no, 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 this is too much for you. This, the, the load is too heavy. You need to teach and train capable people to do these things with you. And I just wonder, as we head into the new year, what is on your plate that's too big? What's something that you, you think you need to be the only person that does it? And here's the thing. I'm going to give you all the credit. I imagine you are the best at it. I imagine no one can do it like you. I imagine that there really wasn't maybe a better judge than Moses. I don't know. But I imagine that you are the best of the best. That's not the point. Where do you need to lighten the load? Who do you need to teach and train to do some of the things that are on your plate? I think sometimes as women, it's easier for us to just keep collecting stuff, Right? Because we can control it, we can hold it, we can manage it. We like, we like to be in the power seat where we're making all the decisions. But some of you are carrying too much. And here's the thing. If you carry too much, if you put too much on a camel, eventually it's going to fall. Eventually it's going to collapse. And some of you, Moses was doing this from morning till night. He was slaving away at a job that was really meant to be empowering to other people, to be judges over other people. He wasn't meant to carry that load for himself. So I wonder today, what is something you need to do to let go of some of the load that's on your plate? When I was home for Christmas, um, my family has a little cottage up in the North Woods, and I overheard a conversation between my mom and dad that was like, come again? Um, I heard my dad say to her something like, oh, when the boys and I come home, for our weekend, like my dad goes hunting with his friends up there. He's like, yeah, I'll just bring home all the wash. And I heard my mom say, sounds good. And I thought, oh, no, 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 poppy. And I, I inquired further and I said, what just happened? And my mom said, oh, you know, your dad, he, he's never done laundry. He doesn't know how to do it. Now, my... Now, my dad is a brilliant and capable man. The man's an engineer. He probably knows how the washing machine runs. (laughs) And so I said to my mom, I said, do you think maybe he could learn? And she goes, oh, I just, I've never, I don't know, I've just always done it. Here's the reality. My mom works full time. She runs a coffee shop for disabled students to teach them job skills at the high school. She's involved in loaves and fishes. She does a book study. She does a Bible study. She's a board on the church. Love her to death powerhouse woman. My dad, one of my favorite people in the world, currently retired. (laughs) No clubs, no book club, no service, no job. He's loving life. And I said to my mom, I said, do you think maybe you could teach him? Do you think maybe is the time? Now this picture is funny, right? Because we're like, how ridiculous. But how often in our own lives Are we not empowering those around us who have the time, who have the capacity, who have the energy? Why? Because 
it's more work to train them, right? Have you ever heard the saying though, give a guy a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach him how to fish and he can eat for the rest of his life. It's our job to train others to share the workload. You weren't meant to carry it and other people were meant to step in. Have you ever been asked to help somebody, like a friend with like a party or a shower or something and they come to you and they know your gift and they say, hey, I think you'd be really good at this. I need this. Can you help me? I love when my girlfriends ask me to do things that I'm actually good at. Now, if they ask me to organize the party, I'm like, you got the wrong lady. But if they're like, hey, can you pick out like fun streamers and get like donuts that you like? I love that stuff, right? <laughs> there, we all have our gifts. That's my role in the team, donut queen. Um, but you feel honored, you feel seen when people ask you for things that they need that they know you're good at. Sometimes we rob people of the joy of serving us, right? We're like, I'm doing this party, I gotta do it all by myself. No, 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 you don't have to do it by yourself. You don't have to do life by yourself. We're created for community. And there are things that you're good at and there are things that you're good at. And there's things that I'm good at. And if we work together, all that good is together and it becomes big good. Um, but you're not meant to do this alone. So who do you need to ask? Who do you need to train? Who do you need to teach to do something? How can you lighten your load? Because here's the reality. If you're doing things that the Lord didn't put on your plate, they're taking away from the things that the Lord has put on your plate. And so if the Lord has asked you to do something in this season and you can't because of all the other stuff you got going on, we got to sit down, we got to sort that out. Moses, his father-in-law saw it instantly. He said, what's, this is not good. What's going on? Why are you doing everything? You got to teach other people. You got you to empower other people. We are women and we have the gift to empower others. You don't have to do it all. God didn't create you to carry the whole load. Who can lighten your load this week and will you ask them? And our last point today, jumping down to chapter 19. It says, chapter 19, verse one, it says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After that, they set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And the fourth point is, God is our ultimate helper. God is our ever-present help in time of need. We see Moses go up and what the Lord tells him is he gives him an identity. He says, you are going to be my people. I'm going to help you. I'm chosen you, you're mine. God has basically tied himself to Israel and says, whatever you need, I got your back because you are my people. Now, something I learned in doing this that I thought was really cool, um, studying of eagles a little bit. So when eagles, when mama eagles are about to have their little eagle babies, what they do is they find one of the highest trees that they can find to stay away from danger. They build the nest, uh, they hatch the eggs, they sit on the eggs. Then when the, when the baby eagle is hatched, how the mom trains the baby eagle is she tips the nest. She flips her own nest. And that baby eagle plummets, 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 trying to fly. And what the mama eagle does is she swoops down on the last minute and carries the baby eagle on its wings back to the nest. 
Now, the mama eagle will do this six or seven times. And she's not doing this because she's cruel. She's doing this because she's teaching the baby eagle how to fly. And the baby eagle needs to fall to get their muscles working. And so she does it again and again and again until the baby eagle's muscles are strong enough where the baby eagle can fly on his own. This is what the Lord invites us to. He says, I don't care how many times you fall, how long it takes you to get it, I will be there to catch you and I will bring you home to me and we will try again and again and again. I am your helper. Ladies, we have the greatest helper in all the universe, the God of the entire world who says, I am here to help you. You don't have to do this alone. I'm going to catch you. I'm not going to let you fall. You are my baby and I'm going to bring you right back to the nest and we're going to try again and we're going to try again until you can soar on your own. We have a God who sees us. And I saw, I read this verse in Isaiah, it's Isaiah 40, 31. I hope this is encouraging to you today. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. The Lord is with you. I don't know what's on your plate this year. I don't know what feels overwhelming, but I want to encourage you on four things before we leave, just to recap. One, who's your team? If you don't have a team, you need to be praying for a team. You need to pray that the Lord reveals the people that he's called you to do life with that are going to help you and you're going to help them. Who's your team? Second question, who in your family needs to hear about what God's done? Who do you need to tell the story to? Who do you need to share the glory of what you've seen? Number four, what do you need to let go of to lighten your load? Can you name it? And can you name somebody you can ask to do it? And last but not least, how will you trust God to help you do all of this? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who sees us, Lord. You know that we need help, Father. We need help. And we confess that to you, Lord, and we ask for your provision, Father. I pray for women who don't feel or they know who their team is, Father. I pray that you'd bring other women around them this week, Father, to do the battle with other people, Father. And I pray for all of us, Lord, as we enter this new year, that we would really discern with you what we're called to do and what we're not called to do, Father, and that you would help us to lighten the load, that you would help us and give us clear instruction in people of who to pass on, who do we need to train? Who do we need to do life with? We thank you, God, that you are the ultimate helper and we can turn to you with anything, Father. So I pray today as we go that you would continue to be our provision, that we would get to experience soaring on wings like eagles, Father, that we would sense your glory and your majesty and your abundant power, Lord. Would we experience that this week as we continue to ask you and others for help? Would you bless us? Would you make your face to shine upon us? And would we tell of your good works this week? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.